The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you remain standing for the reading of God's Word, we of course have the gospel accounts of our Lord instituting the supper, and then in the providence of God, the institution of the supper to guide churches in their practice is given over to the Apostle Paul. And so he embraces this responsibility in addressing the church at Corinth. These are the definitive words as to how God's people are to celebrate this until he comes again. It begins in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 11. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because... When you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers... When you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord abides forever by his grace and his mercy. May his word bless your heart and your soul. Please be seated. Let me read for you. From Matthew 26, verses 1 and 2. This is the context, as Bruce has just walked us through. This would have been at the close of Tuesday afternoon, after he had been teaching. And this is what it says. When Jesus finished all these things, he said to his disciples, You know 
that after two days, in other words, two days from now, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up and will be crucified. There is a couple of things I want to share with you tonight. Um, as you can see, we have put together this presentation and very intentionally, we have not done what a number of people do today when they do Passover seders. They go back to 20th and 19th century Orthodox Jewish practices in Europe. No, we have intentionally gone back uh, to those accounts that you find in extra biblical writers as well as the biblical texts as to what a first century Passover would have been. Now, listen, it would have been a simple meal. It would have been almost it would almost be considered like our to go meals today. The idea, in fact, you would eat it ready to move, even as the uh, even as the people of Israel in the first Passover, they ate it ready to go out in the Exodus. And so it was a meal to go. In fact, it was a meal that afterwards you would pick up your staff to walk out and to move out. Now, where does this Passover come from? Well, obviously, it comes from the Exodus and how God had um, so blessed his people under the 10th plague to deliver them from the angel of death. But let me just go ahead and mention to you, there was quite a revival of Orthodox uh, Judaism uh, around the time of the birth of Christ. It would have been the centers of it would have been in the Galilee and around Jerusalem. And you'll find that Jesus is doing a lot of his ministry in those two areas in his three years of public ministry. You will also notice that that uh, in that context that um, they would have been practicing all of the feasts. There were five feasts that were outlined in the Old Testament uh, for the old for the covenant people of God to practice with regularity. They're listed for you in Leviticus chapter 23 if you want to go through that sometime on your own. But the preeminent one clearly was the Passover. The Passover was the meal that was of extraordinary significance. And so Jesus on this Tuesday lets everyone know that the Passover is coming in two days. That would be Thursday. And he's looking at being faithful to the calendar that Moses had established for the uh, and God had revealed through Moses. And that would have been the month of Nisan, the 14th day. Interestingly, it, uh, with Orthodox Judaism today, while we're observing Monday, Thursday is their Passover. It begins on the 14th and then the eating of it would be that night, which would have been the 15th, because the next day begins at sunset. So Jesus is on time biblically and when he identifies when the Passover will be celebrated by he and his disciples. We call it the Last Supper and, and understandably why it's the Last Supper he has with his disciples. But it's more than that. It's the Last Passover Supper. And out of it will come the First Lord's Supper and the anticipation, because if you'll remember, Jesus said, I will not eat this meal again with you, his incarnate body. I will not eat it again with you until we eat it anew. And that's the anticipation of the Lamb's Supper, the marriage supper with the Lamb in Revelation 19. But what about this Passover that Jesus celebrates with his disciples? Well, it's initiated on that Thursday 
on Nisan the 14th, it's initiated by him telling, and we find out two disciples, and specifically they're named in the Gospels as Peter and John. Interestingly, this tandem will become very important in the life of the church after the ascension of Jesus, particularly in the church that's there in Jerusalem in the first nine chapters of the book of Acts. But here they work together under Jesus' direction, and they're told they're going to find something very unusual. They're going to find a man carrying a jug of water in the middle of the day. Now, that doesn't normally happen. It would either be a child or a woman normally, but this is going to be different, and he's going to be in, you go up to him and say, show us where the Lord's um, where uh, the Lord can celebrate the Passover with his disciples. And he immediately will take you to that place. Actually, that place is called a katalama. It's interesting, isn't it? They're going to celebrate in what's called an upper room. It's called an upper room because that's where the guest would stay in a home that has one. You will remember, interestingly, you will remember that when Jesus is born, they come to Bethlehem looking for a katalama, looking for an upper room, an inn that would be a guest room that someone might have, perhaps a relative. And there was none, although after his birth, Jesus was moved up and along with his parents into that house in the katalama. It's interesting. He begins there in Bethlehem in an upper room. And now Jesus will bring his earthly ministry in another upper room. But this one is going to take on significance. It's almost as it were the epicenter of Christianity Uh, with faithful uh, study of the text. I think you can make a case that it is this room where many of the disciples will flee in fear. When he is crucified, even in fulfillment of what he told them, that they would all forsake him. They would all run from that moment at his at the cross. Well, not only will they be there, but they'll be there on the first resurrection day when Jesus comes to them, locked in, fearful, and he appears to them on the night of his resurrection day. And then, interestingly, he'll appear to them in the same place one week later, when finally Thomas shows up. Then that will be the place, arguably, where they will go and they will pray for the Spirit of God to fall upon them. And it'll be large enough to accompany a hundred and to accommodate 120 people. And then that'll be the place that they select the apostle from which Judas is to be replaced, and that is Matthias. And then it'll be the place where they're praying when Peter in Acts chapter 12 is set free. It is in that place. Likely this is owned by a follower of Jesus. Even more likely, and I don't have time to walk through all the text, even more likely this is the father. The father of a young boy named John Mark. John Mark will become important in the ministry of Barnabas, his uncle. And also in the in the ministry of uh, also in the ministry of the Apostle Paul and then on and will write the gospel of Mark for us in which he will reveal that likely he was the one that had been watching from a distance, having been awakened that night and gone to follow Jesus to the garden and then had barely escaped the soldiers when they were there. This very likely was his father probably was the brother of the man we call Barnabas. But 
regardless of that, this becomes the epicenter of biblical New Testament Christianity. And it's here that the last Passover is here. The first Lord's Supper is is placed before us. Now, Jesus told Peter and John to go and make preparations. So once they found the place, they would go and make preparations. What would that consist of in this simple yet very detailed meal? Not only into what the meal's contents were, but also how you were to go about celebrating the Passover. Now, the contents of, in other words, Peter and John, after they found the place, they would need to get water. They would need to get wine. And now the wine would be prepared with two cups of water poured in for every cup of wine. And that would be the mix that would be used. Likely it would be new wine. And so uh, that's what they would they would obtain. There would be a lamb. There would be bitter herbs. And there would be the the sauce for which they would sop the meal, that is, dip the meal as they would partake of it. And so that's been displayed for you here. The herbs, uh, the lamb, here's the shank of a lamb, which probably would have been what was presented for consumption. What they would have first done is taken the lamb to be sacrificed and the blood would have been poured out at the temple and then they would receive the lamb back and they are to partake of it that night before midnight and they are to partake of all of it and they are to be prepared to move out in haste. And it is that meal that Jesus comes to uh, present to them. Peter and John have arranged all the preparations when they arrive. Now sunset, now the supper, now the 15th of Nisan. There would be 10 steps that they would go through. I'm not going to walk you through all of them. We don't have the time, but I will walk you through a couple of them. The first thing that would have been done is there would have been the observance of Exodus chapter 30 and verse 21. The baptism of hands and feet. That is the pouring of the water and the washing of the hands and then the pouring of the water and the washing of the feet. So there would have been water that would have been provided in a pitcher and that water would have been poured out and they would have poured it out over the top of their hands. One would pour while another held their hands out and thus they would be ritually washed or as the scripture calls it, baptized. And the same thing would be done with the feet. Another bowl would be provided and um, and then the feet would be washed. Now, normally that was a dirty job. You can't imagine the streets of Jerusalem, any village in the first century. So uh, what they would normally do is have a servant or a slave. Well, likely all of the hands by the disciples had been baptized and they were prepared for the meal, ready to eat it. But nobody had taken care of the feet. And the Bible says that you are to wash your hands or your feet lest you die. So what happens is that Jesus steps up. He likely took two towels. One would have been larger. He takes off his outer garments and he would have taken one of these towels and he would have wrapped himself with it because when you would pour the water, you would hold the feet in your lap as you knelt down. So he would have poured the water into the uh, into the basin, he would have carried it around to all of the disciples and he would begin to wash their feet. Obviously, this was a very uncomfortable moment. Here is the master and the Lord doing what a slave or a servant would normally be sequestered to do. 
And then you would do, while you had the towel around you, you would have another towel to dry off their feet. Of course, you know the account when he gets to Peter and he says, Peter, if I don't wash you, Peter objects. He says, Peter, if I don't wash you, if I don't wash you, then you will not be clean. And he says, well, Lord, not only my hands, my feet, my head, everything. I want everything because I want you. He then takes his seat once again, and now the supper can begin in earnest. What would it begin with? It would begin with a prayer of thanksgiving after all the baptism had taken place. It would begin with a prayer of thanksgiving, and when the prayer of thanksgiving was finished, they would then drink the first cup of the wine that would have been poured out, and they would have sang the Hallel, that is Psalm 113, probably the first half of it. And then after they had sung the Hallel and after they had sung this um, this song and given thanks, then the oldest son in a family would say, Father, what is the meaning of this supper? And then would come the explanation, the explanation that in that and that we were in bondage and the seed of Abraham in this supper is birthed as a nation. A covenant nation with God. In this, in this meal, there will be a lamb sacrificed and the blood placed on the door with three swipes, two on the post and one on the lentil. And there the God, the triune God of glory would pass over because of the substitutionary sacrifice, but yet reminded the wages of sin is death. God would bring us out by a strong hand. God would bring us out to bring us to the promised land. God would be fulfilling all of his prophetic word to Abraham, fulfill all of his prophetic word to the patriarchs, and then he would bring us to the promised land. And this meal was the meal that would be a meal established. So every year we would do three things. Remember our deliverance. Remember the God who appointed the sacrifice of the Passover lamb so that our firstborn would not come under the judgment of God. The God who birthed us as a covenant nation and would bring us to the promised land. And we would not only remember that God is our hope, our covenant keeping God is faithful, but we would also repent. We clean out the leaven because we want to clean out sin in our life. And then we're renewed. We take up our staff to follow the Lord with renewed obedience, with renewed understanding. Our salvation is not what we do, but what God does for us as a faithful covenant keeping God. And because our God saves us from oppression, then we hate sin, which would be our oppressor. And that God has won the victory over his enemies and our enemies in that holy war with Egypt. And therefore, God will win the victory over all of our enemies. And so the instruction would take place in the home. But this is the family, the very first of the family of God, the church that is there. And Jesus now sets about teaching John is the one that gives us his teaching. Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us the supper. John is the one that tells us about the washing of the feet, that tells us of the very incidents, that gives us the inside details, as he was the one, of course, 
who would be sitting right next to the Lord and be aware of all of these things that had struck him. And he was led by the Holy Spirit. He would also record the sermon that Jesus preaches and the high priestly prayer of John 17, the sermon, the upper room discourse. There are six sermons that Jesus preached that are recorded. Now, he preached more than that. But there are six that are recorded in your Bible. All Five of them are recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Only one in John. And this is the one that John records. So you can begin to study this in, in John chapter 13 all the way through chapter 17 of the intricate moments that happen in this upper room. They would have proceeded with the meal. And the meal would have begun in earnest with the second cup. There would be three cups. The second cup would be drank and the last half of Psalm 113 would have been sung. And then they would have begun the meal. They would have taken the unleavened bread. Uh, it would have been broken and passed around among the disciples. They likely would have taken some of the herb and they would have placed it in. The, the, this served for the um, first century fork and spoon, as it were. And they would take the herbs and they would put them in, perhaps part of the lamb, and it would be placed there. And then they would put the... They would sop it into the vinegar or the salt water or the mixture that had been there. And then they would begin to partake and they would begin to eat as they would sop the meal. Then came a thunderbolt. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. One of you at this table will betray me. They first asked the question, Lord, Lord, who is it? Then they became more particular. Surely it's not I, but the Gospels are clear. And John is even particularly clear. They didn't ask the second question. They didn't ask Jesus. Surely it, 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 it can't be me. Surely it's not me. Well, they didn't ask that directly to Jesus. They asked it to each other. It says that they were saying to one another. But there was one of the disciples who asked Jesus directly. His name was Judas. And Judas, when he asked Lord, is it I? Truly, you have said so. He had already said to them, the man who betrays me will also sop the meal with me. Well, all of them would be doing that. But then he directly tells John, Judas, personally, it is you. And what you do, do quickly. And Judas, who has already the day before arranged for the betrayal of Jesus. Perhaps this is why Jesus had not told the disciples the exact place of the room, but let Peter and John find out. So that Judas would not have infringed upon this moment in his betrayal. So now he goes out in earnest to do what he would do. Now quickly, it will be that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus continues with the meal, and then as he continues with the meal, then comes another powerful moment, the third cup. It's called the cup of blessing. And at the occasion of the third cup, Jesus goes back to the unleavened bread, and he says to the disciples, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And the bread is passed, and each one takes from it. This is my body, which is given for you. Then, having poured that third cup, he then passed the cup to his disciples. This is where you have to do good translation in the text. He doesn't say drink all of it. If he did, it wouldn't get past the very first disciple. He says, all of you drink it. So one by one, they passed it to one another in this embryonic gathering of the new covenant. Now, a new covenant meal. This bloody meal with a sacrifice will be fulfilled in Jesus on the next day, the day we call Good Friday because of his redeeming work. And now a bloodless meal is given. This meal pointed to him. And now the new covenant meal points back to him, his body and his blood. And that we are to partake of it often. Doesn't tell us how often, no longer a meal once a year, but often. And when we take it, we are told you're to take it in a manner worthy. So the new covenant meal is here so that we can do what? Remember, not Moses, but Jesus. Not the deliverance from Pharaoh and the oppression of slavery and labor. But the deliverance from sin, Satan, death, and the grave, and our deliverance from hell, the judgment that is due to us. Because he is the one who would win the victory. Now we don't need to sacrifice lambs time and time again, which cannot redeem you, but can point to a redeemer. Now we've got... As we just sung, the Lamb of God, precious Messiah, the Lamb of God. Now he gives us a new meal to remember. It's not your works that save you. It's not your intentions that save you. It's at the cross. I have saved you. And now repent. Now you can examine yourself and clean out your sin because you can be honest with it. You're not saved by your perfection. You're saved by the blood of Jesus and his perfect righteousness. Now you can clean out the leaven in your life in this covenant meal of renewal when you remember, repent. And now recover, renew, and get back to the basics and preach the gospel until he comes again. But you must come in a manner. You're not worthy, but come in a manner worthy. What does that mean? Well, he says, examine yourself. Don't just come. Come examining yourself. Come and partake of Jesus, his body and his blood. Now, clearly, this is not some this is not some superstitious notion that his physical body, which is now glorified and at the right hand of the father, is visited upon this meal any more than when Jesus gave it the first time and said, this is my body, this is my blood. There he stood with the blood coursing through his veins. He is speaking of spiritually digesting and ingesting Christ, his righteousness, 
His presence, His grace, His mercy by faith. And how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. Thus the proper administration of this table in a manner worthy will have first the preaching of the word so that people can fix their eyes by faith upon Christ and then that they eat and drink of him spiritually in the Lord and can examine themselves and five times in the text that I just read, people have asked me, Pastor, what about virtual communion? We can't do it, folks. The Bible's clear in this matter. Five times in the words of institution, when you come together. In fact, it says you're to wait for one another. In fact, it says you are to come together and examine the body. You are to examine your relationships with each other. It's a gathered It is a gathered meal of God's people. So our prayer is that you will use this tonight profitably as you see the last Passover fulfilled in Christ on Good Friday. And then you see the first Lord's Supper that we have been gathering together to celebrate for 2,000 years. When the Sunagoge, the church, the gathered people of God come together to worship the Lord and encourage one another and do not neglect the assembling of themselves together. And when they come together, they wait for one another, encourage one another, and they now minister to one another and able to pass the elements to each other under the oversight of elders who have made sure the preaching of the word And the invitation is rightly given to all who are believers in Christ and members of the body of Christ. I pray this Monday, Thursday will be special in anticipation of that Lord's Day. And I can promise you that Lord's Day, when we again are not socially and medically limited, we will come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Waiting for one another, encouraging one another, passing the elements to one another, discerning our relationships with one another, and gathering together for the better, not for the worse. Because we come in the name of the worthy one, Christ. And we come together to his table in a manner worthy, whereby the Lord is exalted to remember Our salvation at the cross. To repent of our sins that we may walk in new obedience. And to renew our commitment to preach, live, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the nations. Until our Savior comes again. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader. Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.